It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need to only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. That's a real beautiful passage that leaves us with a task to serve one another and to place others above ourselves in humility, just as Jesus did. And then the second is 1 Peter 5, 5 to 11. Starts halfway through 5, verse 5. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in your faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you had suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever and ever. Amen. Thanks, Helen. That was, that was cool. Um, now I'm going to invite Graham up to speak um, for us today. Those, those verses on servanthood and um, humility are quite applicable to... Um, Graham, he won't like me saying this, but he um, he is a very humble um, servant, and I know that he's been involved in lots of ministry aspects um, throughout um, 
New Zealand, but also um, even here at Agora, I know that he volunteers to do the v- dishes at least twice a week. I mean, who volunteers to do dishes? Um, so that's next level. Um, so yeah, we're really excited that you're going to speak with us today. So I'll just pray um, with Graham before he starts. Um, Dealer, we just we just thank you for um, Graham and his willingness to um, serve us here um, at Agora, and we just um, are really excited and expectant to um, hear what he's got laid on his heart from you this morning. Um, I know that he's really excited to to share what he's um, he's learned from you, and we just pray that you'll just be with him this morning as he um, shares that with us. Just um, Thank you for the time and effort that he's put into his preparation and we just pray that he'll be blessed through that. And we just pray for our open ears and hearts to hear from you today. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Christine. Thank you for that. I better move up here. Thank you for that nice introduction. I really appreciate that. And um, I enjoy being at Agora. I've been blessed over many years to visit a lot of churches, good and bad, all sorts of churches, big and small. And I've been heavily involved in in a very big church in America for a number of years. Um, But Agora is very much home. And I just really appreciate you folk here and everything that Agora aspires to do for the Lord here in this area. And I don't know about you, but I'm praying for a real breakthrough or a revival in this area because there are so many people here in Frankton who need Jesus. And for me, because I've been involved in different countries, I've got a habit of liking to walk through the towns and just look at the people and sense God's, or do my best to sense God's love for them. And, and to pray. And, and I see that about Frankton. I mean, so many different races, so many different people. And when you look at the faces, you see so many people are bowed down. You know, the crushing weight of life today. And, and Craig made reference to it a minute ago, didn't he? When he, when he talked about <coughs> the, the stress of the finances at the moment in this country and inflation and everything else. And some people are really doing it hard. So I appreciate Agora, and I happen to believe that God has us here strategically because his desire is to use us to bring real change, at least to Franklin, but to this area. Now, that has nothing to do with what I want to share with you today, but it just follows on from Christine's introduction. And I want to talk to you about the servant king, our servant king, about Jesus. Now, I just want to follow along verse by verse through what Harley read in John 13. And thank you for your reading. It's so good to have the Bible read clearly like that so we can follow along. Um, So let's just take it quietly through that. Then we want to look at Peter for the main um, thrust of what I want to share with you today. So if, if you've got your Bible or your device, would you look again at John 13? I'm just going to read again verses 1 and 2. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave the world and to return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. 
it was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now, <clears throat> this is the Passover supper. And, and this is such a historical hinge for us because we're in the last phase of the Lord's ministry here on earth among us before he goes to the cross. You know, he's finished with the crowds who followed him wanting this and that and miracles and hanging on his teaching. They're no longer with him. Neither are the Pharisees and the foes and the people that were opposing him and, and, and wanting to put him to death. They weren't with him either. It was just Jesus and his disciples. And he knows that he's about to go to his cross and he's been talking to this and, and these are his final uh, days with the important people. And, and it's an, the old Passover that ushered in the Old Testament that is finishing. And now we're coming to a new Passover, which we celebrate with communion. Now, John doesn't talk about communion, but this is what we're coming up to. This is what's so important. So he's devoted to his inner circle for his last hours here on earth, for those that he's loved until the very end. And <clears throat> these chapters are a beautiful merging of our Lord's uh, meekness and humility and also his majesty. It's a, it's a merging of his glory, the glory of the king, of all kings, and also of deep, deep darkness. The, the darkness and depravity of which we, mankind, can fall to. So those he especially loved. <clears throat> it's interesting, that phase, because a lot of Christians will say, well, you know, God loves the whole world. He loves us all. Yes, he does. But he has a special love. If you belong to him, the love he has for us is something much different, much more powerful, much deeper. And it's like us with our own children. Excuse me. We love the neighbor's children. We love all children. But ours are special to us. You know, we understand that distinction, don't we? It's the same with our father God. He has a special love for you and I, for his disciples, for these who were crowded around the table with him in these last moments. So he loved them till the very end. And the very end means the full extent to perfection, completion. Yes, his cross is coming and the resurrection. Is that the end? No. It goes beyond his cross. It's right up until we are ready for glory and he either comes for us or we go to him that is what he's thinking of. He's loved us till the very end. So in verse 3, <clears throat> excuse me, excuse my voice, won't you? It, it should come right in a minute. It takes a little while in the mornings. Um, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So here he is, this man about to die, this man going to unimaginable suffering and knowing it and doing it willingly for the joy set before him. And yet he knew he had all authority, not only in this world, but in the cosmos, all authority. He knew that he'd come from God, complete and utter and total glory, not an ounce of sin, 
nothing that's not totally beautiful. He'd come from that, and he was going back to God. He knew all that. So how would you expect it to finish? What would you expect to come next? Certainly not verse 4. He got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Unthinkable. The Lord of glory taking on the job of the lowest servant. I mean, can you imagine the amazement of his disciples? They were struggling with who he was and where he was going and understanding anyway, but they knew he was the Lord. Who do men say that I am? And remember Simon Peter, speaking on behalf of all of them, said that you are the Son of God. They knew that, and yet here he was, taking the form of the servant and washing their feet. <clears throat> Verse 6. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. Now that's true, isn't it, of our Christian walk, so much of it. I mean, I've been a Christian for close to 40 years. And the longer I've gone and able to look back on my life, the more I've seen God at work in ways that I never anticipated. In fact, I'll be honest, there are things I've spent a lot of time praying for that I'm now so thankful God didn't answer, or certainly not the way I expected or thought he needed to answer. And, and that's what so much of our Christian walk is like. We need a good rear view mirror. You know, because that's where we begin to understand exactly what he's doing in the silence and the obscurity of the present moment. When I need him, it doesn't always feel like he's here, but when I look back, he's always been there. Now, I know you'll testify that to that as well if you've been around any length of time walking with the Lord. So <clears throat> the last part, though, in verse 8, after Peter's protest... This is crucial, what Jesus said to Peter, and this is really what I want to point out a little bit later on, because Jesus replied to Peter, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. How serious is that? I mean, this gets my attention. This, this demands to be dug into, to be understood, because I want to be sure that I belong to him. Now, I'll be honest with you, I, I meet people who say they're Christians, who talk about God, but do they all belong to him? Maybe they're part of the God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But you see, unless they respond to that son, they don't have the love that we have as his disciples, as his followers. And so this is a crucial, a crucial verse for us to understand. Anyway, we'll talk more about that in a minute. Press on to verse 9. Simon Peter ex 
exclaimed, well then, wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Now, I understand that. I feel like that. I want to be sure, totally sure, <clears throat> that I'm allowing him to wash me because I want to, to belong to him. It's a matter of life and death eternally, isn't it? So this is serious. Let's jump to verse 12. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that is what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is a messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. <clears throat> Excuse me. His own were already clean. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. His own were already clean. Excuse me, I've got a real problem with my voice. So I'm just attacking that at the moment with a peppermint. His own were already clean. So why did they need their feet washed? Well, you see... We'll come back to this more. But what he's saying is that you belong to me, so I've cleansed you. And, you know, for you and I, brothers and sisters, we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ at the cross that he's about to go to. We've been cleansed. And it is a once and for all. But that's not just salvation happened to me. I can't say, well, you know, I was saved 40 years ago. I was, but there's a very real sense where day by day I need to keep renewing my salvation. Oh, thank you. <clears throat> mm, that might help, actually. Thanks very much. Mm. So, <clears throat> Jesus is saying I need that constant cleansing day after day that he can provide, and that's the mark of me belonging to him because if I don't allow that if I don't seek that if I don't open myself up to that I think what he's saying in verse 8 is unless I wash you you don't belong to me and then in verse 12 do you understand what I was doing well no you see at the time they didn't understand they didn't have a clue But we do. It's much deeper than a foot scrub. It's much deeper than serving one another. We've been talking about that for the last little while, haven't we, about connection? And serving one another is important. We can't say we love God unless we love our neighbour. But this is going deeper. See, it's easy to skim over verses 15 to 17 in this story. But you see, the point is it's not about 
your benefit. If I serve you, it's not about your benefit, it's about my benefit. It's something to do with my heart that needs changing. And this is what Jesus is talking about. See, loving one another is what changes us. This heart is so corrupt, and we were born with it. It's called self-focused. And we may not see ourselves as sinners. Maybe we don't run around and murder and do the heinous things. But Jesus made it really clear when he talked about our thought life is the same as actually our actions. If we hate somebody, that's the same as murdering them. This heart of mine, if I'm honest, is full of that sort of corruption. It has a preference to grade on the curve. If you do that, that's terrible. And I mean, this tests me on the road. I'm on the road a lot driving. I see drivers do things and immediately something rises up in me and I think, oh, you turkey. But I do the same thing under pressure, under the same circumstances. And this is the sin nature. And the whole point of this is that my life now as a born-again believer to get my feet washed day by day is slowly curing me of the sin as the Lord washes me because the habits of sin, the Adamic nature is clinging on and this is the battle of our lives until the day Jesus takes us home. And that's what this is talking about. This is why we need him so much. My self-focused heart needs to be broken. It's called humility. And humility is something that we're commanded to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We do it. If we don't do it, God will do it. And that's much, much worse. And so I need humbling and I think I'm doing all right and I feel I'm doing all right and I look back in my rearview mirror and I can see how far I've come and I'm so thankful and then suddenly there's something there that, good grief, I didn't see that rise up in my heart before. I need my feet washed. Jesus said to Peter, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. But he was already washed. He'd had his bath like we have. And the Roman baths in those days, I mean, this is common for the men that go to a bathhouse. Then they'd walk from the bath back to the changing room and their feet would be dusty. So they'd be a slave to wash their feet separately after they'd put their clothes back on. And so it was a common understanding for these people that had their bath, but they need their walk cleansed. So let's go to, to First Peter, and we'll have a look at why, a little bit more about this. God opposes the proud but favours the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honour. This is Peter writing, where do you think he learned it? I reckon he learned it right there when Jesus was washing his feet. I think, like us, he didn't understand then, but later, years gone by, looking back in his rearview mirror, he realised 
exactly what his Lord and Master was doing. And so he was able to write this. I bet he had a, a strong recollection of Jesus putting the towel, or the original word was apron, <clears throat> putting the apron around his waist and getting down there to wash his feet and remembering how he said, oh, no, not me, Lord, with his typical impetuous Peter responses. And the Lord saying, well, Peter, unless you let me do it, you have no part of me. I think it was life-changing for Peter, and this needs to be life-changing for us. You see, Peter saw that as a garment of a slave, but his princes also wore a special apron, like dishwashers at Agora. They wore a special apron too. An apron was like a badge, a social badge. Now, the prince obviously didn't wear the same apron as a foot washer, but Peter began to see the apron of the prince, the apron of the servant turned into the apron of the king, the king of glory. And he began to see that the king of glory serves him. Now we've talked, or I, last time I was here, I was talking a lot about us serving each other. But have we realised that Jesus serves us and continues to serve us? He's our servant king. Now, this is quite counterintuitive to us, isn't it? Because the world we live in, our Adamic sin nature, our own rebellious hearts, we're so used to thinking, well, if you do well, you'll get rewarded. If you don't do well, you'll get punished. Strive to get to the top. We glorify people in the top. Look at social media and the celebrity culture. Anybody who's got the to, to the top of the movie industry or the social media industry, we, we look up to them. Goodness knows why, because most of them have less sense than you and I do. But, but that's the way our hearts work, and that's the way this world is built, the world of the flesh. But the king serves me. Remember the last time I spoke, I talked about the king of Tonga and how he had a servant who just kept his eye on him and the king didn't need to speak directly to the servant but the servant knew the king well enough that he discerned what the king wanted and he went off <clears throat> and did it without having to be asked even. Jesus does that. He watches us the same way, ready to serve us because we need him. We need his service. We've got to change. I've got, got to get rid of that rubbish inside of me that keeps rising up. You know what I'm talking about. We all have sins. Some are major, some are minor. Even if I see I'm dealing with the major sin in my life, there's little minor things that pop up, just grumpiness even, and the words I use sometimes. I know that's an offence to God. I need my feet washed. So the king serves me. It's crucial to understand. In Luke 12, it talks about the king providing all my needs. Luke 12, 38. We won't turn to these scriptures because we don't have time. But it's really clear. He provides all my needs. The king intercedes for me in heaven. That's another way he's serving me today. And that's in Hebrews 7, 25. So he serves me by providing for me. He serves me by interceding 
for me, like a lawyer in a courtroom saying, yes, Graham's done this, but Father, the blood I shed on the cross is covering that sin. He belongs to us. That's what he's doing. Also in um, verse 10, like I've just read, he cleanses my daily walk. He speaks to me. He shows me from his word what I need to do, and he gives me the power to do it as I call on him. Now, there's something really amazing. I'm going to ask you just to turn to Luke 12, 37, because I want you to see this in the word, not, not me saying it. Luke 12, 37. This is another way he serves us, which is glorious. It's absolutely amazing. The servants, this is Luke 12, 37, the servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth. He himself will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. This is at the heavenly feast. This is the Lord serving us. Isn't that amazing? I don't know about you, but that, that blows my mind. He's the king. Why would the perfect king of all glory serve me? Well, let me say as an aside here, often I'll use the language, because I was a missionary for many years, I often use the language about serving the Lord. But it's not serving in the way... Someone will serve you at Agora if you come here for a coffee because God needs nothing from me, actually. I can't serve him with anything that I've got or can do. Oh, one thing I can do. Yes, one thing. And this is how I serve him. By showing my need for him. I serve him through humility, Lord. This thing, it may not seem much. I mean, sure, I was grumpy and I used some wrong words. And most people say, oh, it doesn't matter. But, Lord, it does matter. And it keeps popping up at the moments when I'm least expecting it. Lord, I need you. I can't stop this. I need you. I know sin won't appear in heaven. There's no room for sin in heaven. Lord, I need this out of my life before I get there. So it's my neediness. That's the one thing I can, I can give God. See, the difference is I'm not his master. He's still my master. But as my master, he serves me. He's my servant king. Reliance, confidence in him, our faith, our neediness. That's how I serve God, and that's how you serve God, and we need to serve him every day and have our feet washed. Do we understand what he was doing? Jesus asked Peter that. He asks us that. Do we? Do you? Do we live by it? 
having our feet washed. Soon Easter will serve our highest need with the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. That's the ultimate service. And he said to his disciples in verse 7 of John 13, you don't understand, but someday you will. And boy, did they change after the resurrection. I mean, look at them now in John 13 and then read about them in Acts. What an amazing change in their lives. They'd understood and the Holy Spirit had come upon them and they were radically, dynamically changed and that should be true of us. And that's what I cry out for. That's part of my foot washing is, Lord, I don't want to just settle for average. I'm not a maintenance man until the day you appear. My job is to become more and more like you. Big things and little things. As he said in John 13.10, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean. So how does he clean... Oh, excuse me, sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. How does he cleanse our daily walk? Well, this is what devotions is. You know the meaning of the word devotion? To devote yourself to something means you totally give yourself over to it. Well, just popping into the Bible once in a blue moon and reading half a chapter in a hurry and then a shopping prayer list is hardly me devoting myself to God. But me coming to him to have my feet washed, oh God, show me what I need to change. Lord, thank you for today, this new day you've given me. What is it, Lord, that we're working on today in my life? Reading the word, and he'll speak. He'll show me what I need. And I pray and I say, Lord, I've dealt with this for years and I keep pushing it back, but it keeps popping up and somehow it's getting stronger. And this is what sin does if we keep pushing it back. Grows up again and gets stronger. Lord, we've got to deal with this. We've got to cut the root. Lord, help me. And I begin to dig into his word because the scripture talks about the water of the word washes us. Washed by the water of the word. And so this is how he does it. And he gives me encouragement, he gives me direction, and he gives me very practical advice. I mean, if you've got sin you're dealing with, well, if we've all got sin we're dealing with, a great place to see how practical that is is in Ephesians and Colossians where Paul talks about putting, putting on and putting off and renewing of the mind and so on. And so he's very practical. you need power over sin? Yes, you do. I do. Do you need power for healing? Yes. Yes. Over anxiety? Over the things that rob and steal from our lives? Yes. All of those things, we need power over them. God has that power and he promises to give it. Do we need wisdom? Yes, God has wisdom. And he promises to give it. Do we need love 
for our neighbor and even for God himself. Yes, God has all of that and he, he gives it. I don't have it. I can't conjure it up. He has to give it to me. Do we need faith? Yes, every day. We need fresh faith, renewed faith. God has it and he promises to give it. He's waiting on us. He's a waiter. He's waiting, ready to serve the minute I call unto him with a sincere heart and a sincere desire. He's ready to move on my behalf. And it may not appear like it. I may feel like I'm praying into the wind for weeks, not seeing any change. But you see, the rear view mirror of my life encourages me because I know when I look back, I see so much change in my life. I'm so thankful to him and my faith rises because I know we can deal with this, Lord. We, you and me, cooperating with the Holy Spirit, that's how it's done. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life. Oh, I'm sorry. Serve not others, but to give his life a ransom for many. And also Romans 8.32, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Now, what does everything mean? It means everything. Nothing left out. Not a thing that we need. Not an iota of godliness that we need in our life will he fail to give us as we seek him. And this is for the future. We've already read about how he's going to serve us at table at the great heavenly feast when we finally make it. He's going to give us all that. We're going to share in his glory. Verse 10 of 1 Peter says, In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you've suffered a little while, he will restore and support and strengthen you and he will place you on the firm foundation or power to him forever. Amen. So this is the hinge I mentioned before between the Old Testament and the, and the New Testament. The Old Testament, after the Passover from out of Egypt and the God's children of Israel, all the laws, <coughs> excuse me, the laws and the ordinances that they had to obey. And over and over and over, we read in the Old Testament how they failed. And often they'd get a surge of godliness. Yes, Lord, we will please you. We will be faithful. But very soon they failed again. Within a generation, they failed. But it all relied on them. And because they failed, they had the sacrificial system and the priestly system at the temple to cleanse them of their sins. But you see the hinge now, we're approaching Easter. That's done away with. We don't need temples and sacrifices and priests. We're all priests because we have access directly to God and he has access to our feet if we'll ask him. And so under the New Testament, Jesus fulfills all the law He's kept all the law for us. So when we fail, he's there interceding for us in heaven and he's here by his spirit leading and guiding in his word, giving the power and the strength and the faith and the love 
that I need to make progress as a believer, to mature as a saint. See, the path of obedience is where King Jesus meets us as our servant to carry our burdens and to give us his resurrection power. And what that's saying is that when he commands us to do something, it's actually his way of telling us that he wants to serve us in that area. So it takes real humility, though, doesn't it? Oh, Lord, I can't be what I need to be. Oh, Lord, I can't do this that I need to do. I'm desperate for you to help me. And that desperation is what he answers. I was involved in a big church up in America for many years. And this is over the time of September 11, you know, in the Twin Towers and all that sort of stuff. And it was a big church. It had about 5,000 adults. And that church almost doubled within a couple of weeks of September 11. It was incredible. It was a big church. It had a big gymnasium and a school as well and ended up putting closed-circuit TVs and all the schoolrooms, a gymnasium and everywhere to accommodate all these people that came in. They were desperate. They were desperate. Fear, you could feel the fear in people. And of course, so many people were involved in the military. This was in Las Vegas. And there's a big military base not too far away. So the families there with loved ones who knew they were going to be called up. Somehow they were going to be in danger. And it was palpable, the fear and anxiety and worry. And the church was full. And, and the pastor was a tremendous teacher and preacher. And he was great. But, you know, in six months, it had shrunk right back to what it was before. They, they had a term for it after the Second World War. They called it foxhole conversion. So, you know, when you're in the foxhole and the shells are going over your head, you think about God and you, God, God, do something and I'll, I'll give my life to you. But they never follow through. And so many people are like that. That's part of the John 3.16 world that God loves. But, you know, I'm not saying they haven't become Christians. Maybe later on they, they have. I'm, you know, that's not my point. My point is we need more than desperation. We've got to let our desperation drive us into the word. And, you know, every day we change, don't we? We're like the children of Israel back in the Old Testament. You know, God can touch our hearts. We can feel his presence. He can answer our prayers. We can see a miracle. And we're so happy, so excited, and we can't get enough of this. And the next day, what is it? Poof. I'm distracted. I'll just lie in bed a little bit longer. Hey, we've got to fight that. That's our battle. We've got to get our feet washed in the word. We've got a plan to do it. You don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. This side of the cross, they understood and it radicalized them. You see, he's a king. We should be totally serving him. But his kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. The first shall be last. You see, the king shall also serve. And that's not like the world. That's craziness to the world. Our servant king of the right-side-up kingdom. 
So behold your king. It's Easter, almost Easter. Behold your king nailed to a cross. See that little remnant of people, 120 confused, worried, fearful, frightened and huddled together. But, but we understood he was God. We just realized that he's come from God and now look, he's, he's dead. What was that he was saying about rebuilding the temple again in three days? I'm confused and frightened. What if the, the Sanhedrin send soldiers to get us as well? It's Friday. It's Easter Friday. And then three days later, what? He is risen. Praise the Lord, he is risen. The tomb is empty. He has risen victorious over sin and over our last enemy, death. He died so we can overcome our sin and live forever in his right side up kingdom with him. The ultimate act of radical, life-changing service for you and I. Let us capitalize on that. So this Easter, beyond remembrance, yes, it's great reading the scriptures that lead up to Easter and we should do all of that, but take it one more step beyond remembrance. Take it to evaluation and to commitment. I don't know about you, but it's so easy through the year for the cross to become blasé. I mean, it's the old, old story. We're so familiar with it, aren't we? Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. That was what got my attention. And so I'm evaluating my life this Easter. I don't believe in New Year's resolutions, but I do believe in Easter evaluation. I don't want the cross to remain blasé. I want a fresh input of zeal and love and desire in my life this Easter. How about you? Let's pray. Father, there's so much in this life that crowds in on our minds and our hearts. It's such a battle. Sometimes, Father, we feel like we're just never getting ahead. We face things in this life, it's like swimming in treacle. But Lord, the one area where we just cannot afford to swim in treacle is our desire for Jesus Christ in our lives. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters and I pray for myself this Easter. Help us to set a little bit of time aside, just purposely planning to set a time aside to come before you through your word and just saying, Lord, help me to evaluate my life in the light of the cross and the resurrection. I want to put to death the sin that still lingers. <clears throat> I want to put it to death, Lord, but I need your help because I think I'm dealing with it. I, I kind of cover it up and I think I'm pretty good and I get by or I, I put up with that 
in my life and I put it to one side and I distract myself with TV or this or that or whatever. And Easter, we, we've got all sorts of things happening, relatives coming and this and that, Lord, but help me to remember the key issue is, Father, that I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me, that I died on that cross with him, death to the old man, Graham. Nobody wants that old Graham. He's no good for anything. But Lord, your resurrection is the promise of your new life through the Holy Spirit, that you died to make me more like Christ. So Lord, come and wash me, wash me again, cleanse me, show me what you want me to work on, that I can work on this Father and I can become more Christ-like. So next Easter, when I look back, I can say, praise God, look how far I've come. And I can give you glory because you, Lord, are my servant king. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.